What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Welcome to The Exchange, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. Here's what's ahead this hour. Do we have a deal? Senate Majority Leader McConnell saying a compromise is within reach on stimulus, and the president agrees. We'll speak with one of the senators leading the jobless benefits push about all of this in just a moment. Plus, if you bought Bitcoin and are looking to take some profits, be prepared for a potential tax hit, regardless of how you bought it or how you're selling it. We've got the details. And Goldman touts Tesla. Car buyers are shifting gears and an inside look at where recruiters see job growth right now. But let's begin with the rally this hour. Dom Chu has more for us. Hi, Dom. I mean, rally is the key word here. Bitcoin's not the only thing that's up today. You've got the market setting record high levels yet again, specifically with the S&P 500 gold star there and the Nasdaq composite. Both of those hit record levels today. The S&P up just about two tenths of one percent outperforming the Nasdaq right now. That's what it's doing, up about one half of one percent. And the Dow Industrials up one half of one percent as well over that 30,000 mark. One of the key places that's been playing catch up in recent weeks and months has been the emerging market stocks. This particular tick ETF, ticker EEM, has been lagging the S&P 500, but as of late has been up a huge surge here. If you take a look at this particular ETF over the last two years, only up 20%, but this is the best level going all the way back to the January of 2018 point. It is now up 67% since the pandemic lows. That matches the S&P 500, so emerging market playing catch-up. And then the stock of the day, not all green today. The biggest grocer publicly traded in America is Kroger. It's off 5%. It reports earnings, yes, that beat estimates, but sales fall a little bit shy. And even though it ups its full-year profit forecast, It still comes in below some analyst estimates. It kind of tells you a little bit about what is happening with the pandemic stocking up trade. It was a big beneficiary then. Will it be another one in the future if the pandemic continues to go the way it is? That's something to watch. But still, those shares down 5%. Kelly Kroger, I'll send things back over to you. You're exactly right, Dom. Who would have necessarily put Kroger and Zoom in the same basket? But sometimes they trade that way, especially on a day like today. Uh, Thank you, sir. And we'll see you in a bit. Now, uh, from Democrats Pelosi and Schumer yesterday to the Republicans McConnell and McCarthy today, and now the president himself, it seems all of Washington is suddenly on board with passing the next COVID relief package. That's why we're seeing the market we're seeing today. Let's get down to Elon Moy. She's in D.C. with the very latest. Hi, Elon. Well, Kelly, that's right. You're now hearing that even the president say that he believes that they're close to a deal as Republican leadership indicates that negotiations are moving in the right direction. So compromise is within reach. We know where we agree. We can do this. Let me say it again. We can do this. And we need to do this. So let's be about actually making a law. 
Now, McConnell has not yet gotten behind that bipartisan framework that was released by a group of senators earlier this week. And he also said that there are still significant differences between what that plan does and the plan that he has put forth himself. Specifically, the bipartisan framework includes $160 billion for state and local aid and $25 billion in rental assistance. McConnell's plan leaves both of those items out. And even in the areas where there is some overlap, they still need to hammer out some of the final details, including exactly how to extend unemployment benefits. So, Kelly, we are expecting to get the legislative text of that bipartisan framework sometime next week, and we'll see if that's enough to keep this ball moving. Back to you. But, Elon, would you say that it, the movement we've seen so far this week appears to have Democrats saying, okay, we can, we can do 908, you know, we don't necessarily have to stick with the multi-trillion dollar figure, and that the assumption is McConnell, even though he's saying $600 billion, would ultimately come up to that same level. Well, we don't know. I mean, right now, what Democrats are trying to do by getting behind this uh, $908 billion plan is to kind of put the ball back in McConnell's court and to see if he is actually willing to make that move. What we're hearing from some of the more rank-and-file Republican senators is that they do support this, that this is a baseline for negotiations. There's still going to be some hashing out of the details, but they seem pretty positive about it. And so we are at a place where there appears to be um, something within striking distance. The question is, we've been at this place so many times before and have not been able to carry this ball over the finish line. There's a deadline because of the government funding bill. There's a deadline because lawmakers want to get home for the holidays. Will all of that be enough to finally get this deal done? Yeah, we're journalists. We know how a deadline uh, helps get stuff done. Elon, thanks so much. We'll check back in with you soon. Elon Moy in Washington today. One of the sticking points, as she mentioned, throughout these negotiations has been the extension of the extra 600 bucks a week in unemployment benefits. It's something Senator Ron Wyden and his colleagues have been pushing for in the next round of stimulus. And Senator Wyden of Oregon joins me now. It's great to have you, sir. And would you be comfortable with a $300 a week figure? I wouldn't. And the fact is, the person who is least interested in real compromise, actual compromise where working families get a fair shake, the person who's least interested in a real compromise is Mitch McConnell. He has basically said, it is my way or the highway. I mean, the fact is, on his proposal, it actually shrunk what he was offering previously. For example, there was no weekly boost in unemployment. Now, when I negotiated the original agreement with Steve Mnuchin on behalf of the Trump administration, both sides gave, we gave, they gave. Mitch McConnell sure isn't doing any giving now, but we're interested in trying to find common ground that protects workers and helps our country when we're having record numbers of coronavirus cases. Yeah, I take your point, but the the whole issue here is compromise. You know, you have a party who, on the one hand, wants a multi-trillion dollar bill with the level of benefits you say, and uh, the other party interested in a much, much smaller scale down figure that would still provide, I believe, in the 908 billion version, $300 a week. So you wouldn't vote against that, would you? I mean, if it was that or nothing? Well, I, I will continue to be sitting at this desk in the Dirksen Senate office building, as I did when we put together the original compromise on unemployment benefits, to try to find common ground. But Kelly, let's understand what we're talking about. We're talking about unemployed workers, unemployed through no fault of their own, 
needing to make rent. They need to buy groceries. They need to get heat. They need to pay for medicine for their family members. Mitch McConnell doesn't want to help with that, but he wants to give tax breaks for business lunches. That's not a compromise. What about the PPP program? You know, we got details this week about, you know, what portion of it went to larger businesses versus smaller ones. There's still a controversy over whether these loans should be entirely forgiven. And in the meantime, industries, especially like the restaurants, some of the hotels are really hoping there's going to be another round of aid. Um, would you support more PPP funding? How much so? And does the 908 billion bill have a sufficient amount in it? It is urgent business because in Oregon and across the country, our small businesses, the restaurants and scores of others, they basically have been hit by a wrecking ball. So many of them, big reductions and street uh, uh, traffic, and we've got to get them additional financial help and more flexibility in terms of using it. I think that there's a consensus among members of the United States Senate on doing it, and it ought to be part of a balanced package. But I can tell you there's some heavy lifting to do now, given the fact that Mitch McConnell has stonewalled uh, uh, so, and actually, as I say, shrunk from his original terms. That's what happened on unemployment. Senator, before we go, what would you tell investors who are trying to figure out, you know, just how close we really are this time around? There has been a flurry of action this week from both parties uh, who seem to be open to this compromise. Uh, does that mean there's greater than 50-50 odds that this bill is passed, becomes law, and the money starts moving before the end of the year? I would tell investors that we've got the framework. That's what the bipartisan uh, proposal does. It, in effect, lays out a structure around uh, something you can build on that would be good for uh, our country. But there is an awful lot of heavy lifting to do. And I want people to know, as the ranking Democrat on the Senate Finance Committee, I think this is hugely important. This is like a social contract, almost. Our country is hurting. Our businesses are hurting. Everybody has got to step up and be part of that social contract so we can get an agreement that's fair. All right. Well, if, you know, if it were a month or two ago, I would have definitely wanted to talk to you all about Section 230. And that was in the news again this we'll week, do, of course. We'll do that again. Uh, but please come back. We'll, absolutely. Uh, another huge issue. Uh, one of the co-authors. Uh, Senator Wyden, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Uh, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon. Well, the sudden traction, maybe after listening to that interview <laughs> on a stimulus deal, is helping to drive stocks higher today. The S&P and the Nasdaq just hit new intraday highs. The Dow is back above 30,000 uh, with 33 points above it. And for more on this rally and the rebound in the reopening names, especially today, let's welcome in Kim Forrest. She's CIO at Boca Capital Partners and Bryce Doty, senior portfolio manager for SIT Investment Associates. I'd like you both to just react to what we heard from the senator first, if you don't mind, Kim. What's your thinking on the fate of the next relief bill at this point? Well, I'm really glad that both sides have come to the table to address the, the needs of the people that they are supposed to represent. Um, I have a soft spot for people that work in the restaurant industry. I actually put myself through undergrad as a waitress, and I cannot imagine <laughs> what their lives are like right now. So I am encouraged that we're back at the table, finally. Right. And uh, Bryce, it seems like the market is very encouraged as well. Uh, look at some of the reopening names today that are really taking off some of the airlines and that sort of thing. Um, 
is it are we are we right to kind of price in this getting done because you know the other thing i was thinking as we spoke to the senator is doesn't it depend on what ends up happening with the georgia results you know doesn't it depend on uh, what we think the makeup of, of the Senate will look like in a, another month's time in terms of whether Democrats want to get a deal done now uh, or later and same for the other side. What, do you think the market's right to move so much on the, on the headlines this week? Well, there is a lot of posturing going on in Congress, and, and you're right, there's so many things at stake and up in the air with what could happen in Georgia. And neither side really wants to bank on that outcome. So I, I think they do want to get something done sooner rather than later. The There's an additional sense of urgency just from how bad things are getting. With, as the amount of uh, shutdowns stack up, you know, it, it becomes more and more imperative that they that they do something. And it's interesting when you uh, ask the senator the question, you know, how do investors gauge the likelihood of a case, a, a deal getting done? And, and I don't measure it by what they're actually saying in terms of like $600 a week versus three, 300 uh, because they're just you know kind of bludgeoning each other politically. But what I use as a gauge as the likelihood of it happening is the intensity of their words. And as you saw from the senator, I mean, they're intense. It's getting ramped up. So I think that the market is correct in pricing in some stimulus. I think it's closer than, than ever, uh, just based on the intensity of the discussions. When no one's talking to anyone or saying anything, that that's when uh, the market shouldn't uh, be pricing anything in. But at this point, I think that they're finally going to do something. All right. So, Kim, give us some plays then. I mean, one of the areas of relative weakness has been big cap tech since early September. Um, as yep. we talk about more COVID relief, as we talk uh, kind of about next year, what are a couple of, of places or ways that you think people should be positioned to take advantage of what 2021 could bring? Sure. Well, 2021 is just part of what I invest in because I usually look out a much longer time frame. Three years is a, a minimum. But I do believe there's some trends that are going to help us in 2021. That longer term trend still is 5G. We have a worldwide rollout, which is really hard for me to say. But um, we have this big rollout that it is going to drive um, not just new handsets, but it's going to drive capacity. So there is a lot of places to invest in that value chain. And I look at all of those. The easy places are semiconductors because that's what moves zeros and ones around the world, whether it's on 4G, 5G, or a regular phone network now. Yeah, and we won't go into Intel right now, but I know you, no. you like Xilinx, you like AMD. <laughs> uh, also, you like Elon, if you're E-L-A-N, if you're looking for kind of a healthcare play uh, with pet exposure. Um, right. And so a couple of other kind of bigger picture trends there. Bryce, quickly sure. to you before we go, I think it's yeah. interesting here. You're saying you want to buy everything that the Fed hasn't been buying so far this year. What do you mean by that? Yes. So they're, they're buying bonds and in indices. Uh, they don't buy bonds, let's say, uh, that are part of a $150 million deal. Pretty liquid, but not a big enough deal to be included in an index. So those bonds uh, have half to 1% more yield than the bonds that the Fed has been buying. So it used to be in April, you buy everything the Fed's going to buy. You, know, you can kind of front run the Fed. That trade is done. Those bonds have been bid up. They're way too rich. So there are a lot of bonds that don't qualify for industries like taxable municipals. That's that whole sector 
you can get more yield on those bonds than an equivalent rated corporate bond for much lower credit risk. So there's a lot of different things. And, and you know, we, we think inflation's coming back. That's going to be a big theme in 2021. We like cyclicals. They, they, they may have uh, some bonds in their index for airlines, but, they yeah. don't, but not junk bonds. Well, you can buy an airline bond backed by planes. That's an equipment trust certificate. You get the same cyclical upside, you know, the big, big wave of a rebound that's going to come with vaccine is going to help all of those bonds. So we're, we kind of have this big bet on to just kind of ride or surf the uh, the vaccine wave for all of 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I thought it was it was an interesting way uh, of doing so as well, thinking about the Fed's involvement there. Uh, Bryce Doty, Kim Forrest, thank you both today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And coming up, shares the Land's End are sinking today. Uh, this after the company warned that its fourth quarter isn't looking so cheery and for reasons that could apply to other companies as well. The shares are now down almost 20 percent. The CEO joins us to talk about that and the holiday shipping rush next. Plus, if you bought Bitcoin and are looking to cash out, be prepared for a tax hit. We'll have all the details there. And speaking of Bitcoin, one analyst says shares of a payment stock could rally more than 40 percent from here with its help. That and much more is all ahead today on The Exchange. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. Look at shares of Land's End. They're sinking almost 20% today on weaker-than-expected holiday quarter guidance. The retailer just beat estimates for earnings and revenue in the third quarter, but warned the fourth quarter is off to a slow start because unseasonably warm weather is hurting its outerwear business. We've heard concerns about this with Canada Goose as well. Uh, still, the stock is up nearly 200% in the past m- six months, thanks in part to the e-commerce boom. And with me now in a first on CNBC interview is the president and CEO of Land's End, Jerome Griffin. Jerome, it's good to have you. Thank you for joining us today. And is the listen, just anecdotally, if we're talking about the Northeast, it's getting pretty cold out there. I mean, is this all something that's going to be part of the past or part of the future? No, normally we don't really talk about weather because there's weather every year. However, it has been an unseasonably warm November so far. And uh, we think there's still cold weather down the down the road. And uh, as we go through the quarter, we'll see how it goes. Sure. So, you know, obviously that means it's a, a tough start, um, you know, for the outdoor business. But is there any sense that because people are going to try to go bundle up at restaurants to eat outside or to just get outside because that's the only thing you can do these days? I mean, I'm surprised there isn't more of a COVID pandemic driven uh, boost in getting outdoors. Well, I think everyone's seen a big shift in consumer behavior over the last few months. as of way everybody's shopping online. And, and what we think is that, uh, you know, our business is extremely resilient. We've been really pleased with what we've seen over the last several months. And to be able to put in results like we put in for quarter three, uh, we were extremely pleased with. Uh, outerwear is only one part of our business. You know, what we've seen trend-wise is people looking for comfort. 
knit tops, sleepwear, loungewear, activewear, slippers, robes uh, have been big categories for us trending over the last few months. And our sense is that they're going to continue to trend into the fourth quarter and then into the next year. Uh, we're not really sure when we're going to come out of COVID as, as uh, we look at it right now. Everybody's still working from home. People aren't traveling as much and people aren't commuting as much. Yeah. To your point about e-commerce, you're up 20 percent there globally. International e-commerce up 51 percent. So obviously uh, a bright spot there. Um, I am curious. I don't know. I assume you guys do business with UPS, but we all learned that they're putting a lot of restrictions and limits now on some of their customers. How is that affecting you? We've known about this for months and have been in close contact with UPS and the United States Postal Service to uh, work through any mitigation that would uh, negatively affect the consumer. Yes, there are surcharges that are being put on top of this, and yes, there are shipping uh, shipping limits, but you know we're aware of this and working very closely with our partners. The one thing I think that's important for consumers to be aware of, you're going to need to shop earlier this year because cutoff dates for shipping and getting product to home before Christmas deadline is uh, a lot sooner, December 15th right now. So for you guys, it's December 15th, is that right? Yes. So my final question then, as we kind of just look at the evolution of these businesses, is what's it been like trying to grow your e-commerce business while experiencing all of this demand this year and trying to manage uh, shipping and so forth? And I assume a lot of your workforce is itself affected by COVID. Um, as we look at the cloud companies in particular today who say they're all seeing huge accelerations in growth as companies kind of transform their operations, has Land's End been one of them? It's been great, I got to say. You know, this is my 41st Christmas uh, in the business, and everyone presents uh, new, interesting challenges. Uh, with this year, you know, being in the e-commerce business has been great. As you can see, we've put in big increases over over last year, and are really benefiting from new consumer behavior patterns, which we think will continue. I think what's important is as we come out of COVID to be able to anticipate what the new customer um, behaviors are going to be like and be able to match that. But when it comes to this quarter, you know, I think it's still going to end up being a pretty good Christmas season. All right. Fair enough. Jerome Griffith, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. CEO of Land's End. Griffith with an eye. That's for you, Bill. Uh, coming up, it's where the jobs are. We get an inside look at where recruiters are seeing job growth and how the third wave of COVID has affected hiring these days. And consumers have a new approach when it comes to car buying, and they're taking on more debt than ever. We'll look at why and what it could mean for the auto industry. We're back in a couple. Don't go anywhere. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org money tools canva presents stories to keep you up at night it was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.
Welcome back to the exchange. Seeing a nice rally play out today across all the major averages. The Dow is up almost 200 points at the highs. We're up 151 right now. That's a half percent gain. Although I should mention the S&P is actually only up about a tenth of a percent today. Interestingly, the Nasdaq is still hanging on to a half percent gain, even though a lot of the reopening trades are popping today. Let's look at the sectors that will show you what I mean. Energy, industrials and real estate are among the best of the bunch today. Utilities and consumer staples are the biggest laggards. Energy is now up about six percent in just two sessions. Uh, what's helping tech right now, some of the cloud names, and let's take a look at some of the stocks that are on the move this hour. Shares of CrowdStrike are higher after a beat on earnings and revenue and better than expected guidance. They're up 14 percent. The cybersecurity company also added a record amount of new customers. Shares of Splunk, meanwhile, the data analytics firm, lower sharply following a miss on the top and bottom line. They had delays in large deal closings due to COVID uncertainty. That was a headwind. The shares are down nearly 20 percent. Uh, and Snowflake is higher despite a loss in its first report as a public company. Revenue grew 119% year over year. Snowflake Software provides a cloud-based alternative to data warehouses, adding 14% today. Now to Sue Herrera for a CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Good to see you. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court says that it has set a, uh, will not hear a lawsuit by the Trump campaign that seeks to overturn his loss in that state. In a YouTube video, President-elect Biden says Brian Deese, an Obama aide who helped negotiate the Paris Climate Accord, will be the next director of the National Economic Council. Southwest Airlines is warning it may furlough more than 6,800 workers, blaming a lack of progress in cost-cutting negotiations with its labor unions. They would be the first furloughs in that company's history. And this will warm your heart, Kelly. This is World War II veteran Major Wooten. Major is his first name, not his rank. Hospitalized for COVID in Madison, Alabama. He was well cared for. This week he went home just in time to celebrate his 104th birthday. His first request, as you can see there, a chocolate milkshake, which he enjoyed apparently very quickly in the car. You Good are choice. up to date. Happy birthday to him. Back to you, Kel. Absolutely. Sue, thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Our Sue Herrera back at headquarters. Just getting a quick news alert on more progress on the stimulus front. A tweet from Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office just moments ago. The Speaker and Leader McConnell spoke at 12.45 p.m. today, about just about 45 minutes ago, about their shared commitment to completing an omnibus and a COVID relief bill as soon as possible. So you can add that to the signs of progress that have the markets uh, excited today. The Dow hanging on to about 145-point gain. Another SPAC has gone public today, autonomous vehicle startup Luminar making its trading debut on the NASDAQ after closing on its merger with the blank check company. It is trading under the ticker LAZR and is currently higher. Let's check on the shares. The listing makes Luminar founder Austin Russell a billionaire at the age of 25. He joined Squawk Box to discuss the debut. Going public has always been part of our long-term roadmap, uh, but to be able to have, um, you know, really just a series of um, uh, of awesome events, despite all the you know the headwinds 2020 has brought, uh, you know, and really accelerating into the close here has been uh, fantastic. You can catch the whole interview with Austin Russell of Luminar. It's at cnbc.com/pro. Shares are up 27 percent. Coming up, Goldman's U-turn on Tesla, Square's Bitcoin bounce, consumers are buying cars differently these days, and Amazon wants in on the podcast race. It's all ahead in rapid fire. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome back. Let's catch you up on a few stories that should be on your radar today. It's time for Rapid Fire. Here to break down the headlines are Bob Bassani, Seema Modi, and Phil LeBeau. Welcome, everybody. First up, we begin with Goldman's note on Tesla. They're making a U-turn, upgrading the stock to a buy from a neutral, raising their price target by more than 300 bucks to 780. That'd be almost $4,000 pre-split, and it's nearly 40% upside from here. This after the firm downgraded the stock to neutral in June, citing red flags like price cuts and shorter Model Y delivery backlogs. The stock has nearly tripled since then. Um, Phil, you know, a third of this you could say is about the auto business. And on that front, yep. they see electric vehicle adoption, Model Y profit margin expansion, and, and 40% of the mix next year being the Model Y. Yeah, those are all the reasons why Goldman believes that uh, Tesla is primed to move higher. I think the most interesting one, and the one that probably will have people saying, now, wait a second, do we really think that this adoption will take place? It's that first point you made, which is you have so many new electric vehicles that are coming into the market. And while that is good for the market overall in terms of people being more interested in electric vehicles, it depends in terms of what type of volume they get when they were brought into the market. I hear this all the time from people who are like, oh, there's a lot more electric vehicles for sale. Really? There are. You want to find one? Go out and try to find one right now. Aside from Tesla, you have to ask at certain dealerships, oh, I'm interested in this particular model. That's going to change, Kelly, over the next several years. I'm not sure if it changes right. in the next year as people are expecting. The other thing I wonder, Phil, this has been very underplayed, but Consumer Reports was just out uh, with its reliability study. It yep. is no longer recommending the Model S. It had serious concerns about the Model Y. It put Tesla as the second worst uh, brand in its reliability index. It was just above Lincoln. I mean, at some point, even though, I mean, we, we know that the software is amazing, uh, but yep. are the cars themselves falling behind? You, you are hitting on a key point here, and if you talk with Tesla owners, it's not hard to find Tesla owners who are ticked off when it comes to getting their vehicles serviced. And Tesla, not long ago, had they basically issued a recall, and they said, look, preemptively, we're going to be doing this recall for people uh, with a particular issue. This is going to be one of the main challenges that Tesla runs into as it goes from building maybe a half million vehicles this year. If they can get there, they'll be close. They'll be at least like 480 or so. If they can do that, and then as they ramp up, let's say they go up to 800,000 next year, whatever the target is that they set, the more you build, the bigger the challenge is in terms of keeping the quality at a level where people will say, yeah, I bought this car and the reliability yeah. is good. Because right now there are a lot of questions in that area. Hey, and Kelly, Bob, I mean, this is a stock that's going into the S&P 500. Yeah. And so it just it's yeah. more important than ever that it be able to rally from here. You, you we all got to hope Goldman's right. We, we're all probably going to end up having it in our index funds. Well, just just a comment on the state of analyst commentary in general. I give them props for admitting they were wrong. OK, so, you know, they underestimated electric vehicle strength and the, the residential and solar markets growing. They got that wrong. So I give them props for admitting they were wrong. Then you have this sentence in the report. If Tesla sustains its mid to high 20 percent range share of the electric vehicle market, it could reach 15 million units by 2040. Wait a minute. They just admitted right. <laughs> they couldn't figure out what was going on in the last five months, but we have a projection for 2040 for you. <laughs> now, folks, think about what that means and the implications of that. We don't have a clue what's going on here, and yet we're not afraid to project uh, 20 years into the future. Just a comment about the state of analyst commentary, okay? I, I agree with you. Me. 2040, I mean, 
that that's looking a pretty long ways off. Uh, there's Tesla up nearly 5% today, regardless, uh, with its market cap holding in at over $550 billion. Let's move on to talk about Morlo for Square. Evercore upgraded the stock to uh, outperform from inline. This call kind of reminds me of the Tesla call today. You have an analyst getting bullish on the Cash app, which has, of course, been one of the blockbuster offerings this year. Square's Cash App now has a debit card, a digital wallet, stock trading, even Bitcoin purchasing, obviously. And that could help it become a one-stop disruptive digital payments bank. Evercore now sees a stock climbing 50% over $300 a share in the next 12 months, Seema, even though it's already up more than 200%. So again, feels like a little bit of a chase here. Yeah, but to your point, there just seems to be so much power being unlocked with its cash app, which, uh, you know, Venmo had the first mover advantage, but then cash came in and was able to use an interesting marketing strategy to appeal to that younger audience, not only allowing for uh, Bitcoin trading, but as an analyst point out here for for paypal they used a targeted giveaway on twitter and also tapped into into the social media influencer network which i think we we tend to dismiss but these are folks that that carry sway that have that can carry influence with their followers and and clearly it's one of the ways that allowed cash to really tap in again to this millennial audience and um and they're growing now at a faster pace than venmo bob Uh, they have a lot of things going in their favor i mean not only the the app itself. Yeah, but the the rally that we've seen in Bitcoin has partly been predicated on the wide availability now being able to get it via Square and PayPal. That's right. Uh, First off, another here's another analyst call late to the party. Thank you very much. We're up 100 percent in the last five months. And now we get we get the upgrade. Does anybody notice that? Uh, Yeah. And here they have. Oh, they think Cash App is going to be a disruptive digital payments bank. Well, let's hope so. Like Alipay, I mean, that's what the whole game is here. We kind of know that already. Can I just make an observation about a company that's been public five years? They're expected to be earn $1.14 next year. Right now, on that estimate, it's 175 times forward earnings. For a company that's been public for five wow. years, and they've got price targets on this thing into the 300s, we're talking about 250 multiples at this point? Please, really, seriously. That's, that's a pretty rich multiple. It is. And other than some of the cloud names today and anything that has to do with crypto, you know, who would have thought that we'd be talking about that kind of valuation? And yet here we are. Uh, Speaking of high valuations, let's switch gears for a second. Talk about what's going on with used car prices, because you've probably noticed it's getting really expensive out there. The average loan for a used vehicle hit a record high of more than $21,000. Average monthly payments are now nearly $400. And at the same time, more people are choosing to pay cash for new vehicles because automakers have pulled back on their financing offers. So, Phil, it's kind of a, a barbell market. You have more cash buyers on the one hand, higher debt levels right. on the other hand. And we've seen the used car stocks, the dealers, the Carvanas. I mean, they are absolutely yep. going gangbusters this year. Remember, the dealers make their money on two things, mainly on servicing a vehicle. I mean, that's where half the profits come from the back of the business and when they are buying and selling used vehicles. They don't really make money on buying or or on selling new vehicles when they buy it from uh, the manufacturer. A very, very small margin there. They make it on the used vehicle. Ever wonder when you go to a, a dealership and you say, gee, I wonder what they bought this for? They bought it and they sold it at a pretty nice margin. And right now they are really profiting because it's such a tight market, Kelly. If you go out right now and you look for a pickup truck and an SUV, those are the hottest models right now. You are paying full boat. There's no negotiation going on unless it's a clunker and it's on its last leg. Otherwise, you are paying what they are asking. And if you don't, they don't mind. Somebody's going to come around uh, the corner and buy it and we'll pay the full price. And that's why we see these loan levels at 
just ridiculously high levels compared to where they were just a few years ago. I remember when it was down around 18000 yeah. as the average loan. Now it's pushing close to 22000 The only yeah. thing I would say, you know, the, and we've we got to move along, but like... People always say when you drive that new car, you, that new car off the lot, you lose what twenty percent of the value or something right away. Right. At least if you're financing a used car, you that that's already spoken for. It almost makes more sense to finance a used one than a new one. But everybody, hang but on one, one quick second, point, Kelly. Because before one we delve any point. further into this, oh, go ahead. Yeah, real quickly. I was just gonna say, some new models are less expensive than some used models. That's how weird the market is right now. Not with all vehicles, but with certain like pickups and SUVs, depending on what you're looking for. Okay, that's totally bizarre, and I'm yeah. glad you got that in. Let's get now to our news alert. Forget what we were going to talk about. Uh, we just got some headlines out of Warner Brothers, another big shakeup for the movie industry. Julia Borson's here, and then we'll react. Julia? That's right. Warner Brothers making a big move to release its films in theaters at the same time that it makes them available on HBO Max, its streaming service. Now, this comes um, as the after the company announced that it was going to release its Wonder Woman 1984 film that way on Christmas. Now they're saying that they'll make all their 2021 films available um, on both platforms the same day, both in theaters and HBO Max, um, which is really a massive shift. This is a big deal because, of course, they need to have deals with theaters to enable them to do this. And there are some very big movies that they are saying they will release this way, including Godzilla vs. Kong, Mortal Kombat. Um, so big, big budget movies um, and quite a big announcement. They're calling this a hybrid distribution model for the 2021 slate. I don't have the details yet on how they're going to handle this in terms of the deals with their theaters. We've seen with Universal that they're actually giving a percentage of revenue for the first three months, sorry, three weeks that the film is in theaters. And also on, um, to, I'm sorry, with Universal, they're having three weeks before it's in uh, available on streaming and is only going to be in theaters. And then after that, there will be some sort of revenue share. But what's interesting here is we're awaiting those details. And it's a very unusual strategy. What's also interesting, Kelly, is after that month, that it's available in both places, it will only be available in theaters and not on HBO Max. So certainly an interesting innovation here. Wow. Julia, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Julia Borson, the stocks of AMC down 8%, IMAX down 3%, Cinemark down 5%. Bob, I'll give you the last word here. I mean, it does seem to speak of the importance of HBO Max, which has been lagging uh, the streaming peers somewhat. Warner Brothers making a big push here uh, for that play. But what do you think about the significance of this move today? Well, I, what I, the question to me is, uh, how does it affect the economics of, of movie making? So we've got $150, $200 million movies. Can that kind of budget be sustained with a dual release like, like Julia was talking about? I, I'm doubtful. I'd love to see the economics of how they would make those kinds of blockbusters work with those kinds of dual releases, assuming there's going to be a lot less revenue coming from the theaters. If that's the case, then they're going to have to find a way to make movies a lot cheaper, either you know virtually digital or virtual digital actors, which I think is coming very, very soon. But uh, I, I want to know a little bit more about how this is going to affect the economics. Kelly, also a telling sign that even with this vaccine, uh, you know, companies are not expecting this sort of pent-up demand for movies, for cruises. It's going to take time for people to feel safe. In the meantime, they're sort of using both options, right? The, the theater option and that online yep. option at home. No, great points. Uh, it, it is a fascinating one. That's why we're, again, seeing the, the moves in the theater stocks today. Guys, thank you all for rolling with us. Bob Bassani, Seema Modi, and okay. Phil LeBeau for this edition of Rapid Fire.
Still ahead, despite millions of Americans without jobs, recruiter sentiment, get this, remains near record highs. As we await the November jobs report tomorrow, we're going to get a look at where they're hiring next. And before we had to break, take a look at some of the reopening stocks that are rallying today. The cruise lines seeing a big pop. Carnival's up 9%. The airlines, too. You've got American up almost 10%. We'll keep an eye on all of these with the Dow up 107. We're back in a couple. Welcome back to The Exchange. Jobless claims fell last week but are still nearly triple the number before COVID-19. Meanwhile, the big November jobs report is due out tomorrow morning. Today's recruiter index may offer some clues of what that will hold. Recruiter sentiment for November came in slightly colder than in October. But interestingly, expectations for the next 30 and 90 days are some of the most optimistic on record. Joining me now is Evan Sohn. He's the chairman and CEO of Recruiter.com. Evan, it's great to see you again. And let's start with the slippage uh, in the past month and what it might foretell about uh, what we learned tomorrow morning. Well, it's interesting because, look, sentiment is a 3.3, as you just showed on the graph. Um, but if you actually look at the month, the month is colder. Uh, we're actually seeing COVID affect about 5% uptick from October on the overall workloads themselves. But what's really keeping that number up is actually the optimism for the next uh, 30, 60, and 90 days on the recruiter side. So uh, in the other, other words, you'd I'd... be a lot more concerned about these trends if it weren't for the brightening future outlook. Um, so may, so it, it sounds like we should maybe be prepared for some not-so-great news about the November labor market. Where in particular uh, is it getting hit? Yeah, so it's, in, it's interesting. You know, I looked at last year's numbers, and uh, November last year was actually over two times uh, the growth from October. Now, that would be incredible if we saw that. Uh, tick up in terms of jobs. Uh, the interesting thing is that the actual uh, average workload of the recruiters in the recruiter index went from 15 to 19 uh, for the month. But a, a, a significant number of those are actually coming from the volume hiring of things like uh, warehouse workers, transportation, and logistics. Interesting. So let's talk now about the next 30 to 90 days. Um, what is it that has people so optimistic? Is it vaccine uh, hopes? In other words, you see it across a wide range of industries or it, is it concentrated in a couple in particular? Yeah. So, look, you obviously have, you know, healthcare, IT uh, are on the, uh, you know, almost 70 percent optimism um, as they continue to be optimistic about those industry sectors. Uh, and look, what's happened in the past is you've always had this seasonal hiring that occurred this time of year, retail, uh, hospitality, transportation, all those things aren't actually happening, but you're seeing instead the winter, let's call it the COVID winter, the hiring for winter are the, the home delivery, the warehouse workers. Uh, and I think those are really gonna come very quickly over the next, let's say 30, 60, 90 days as the country prepares for winter. And, and really, as we start to look for the optimism of both remote workers uh, picking up and those industries shifting to remote and obviously the vaccine and people getting more optimistic about things kind of returning to normal. But we are still seeing this this digital divide in the workplace where the jobs that came back faster are the the folks that were more digitally connected, uh, the uh, the video conferencing, uh, remote workers. And this digital divide that we talk about in the educational world is actually happening in the workforce as well. And unfortunately, those jobs are not coming back as fast as they have in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And looking at the most uh, optimistic industries, healthcare, technology and software. So, again, part of it, a COVID phenomenon. But a lot of this is the changing uh, U.S. economy because of the pandemic. Evan, thanks for all the time and information. We appreciate it.
Hey, thanks so much, Kelly. Thanks for having us. Evan Zohn, Evan Zohn joining us from Recruiter.com. Coming up, Bitcoin surging more than 40% over the past month. But if you're thinking about cashing in on those gains, if you have them, the tax man will be coming. We'll look at how big a hit investors could take next. Don't forget, you can always watch us live on the go using the CNBC app. The exchange is back in a couple. Welcome back to The Exchange. Bitcoin has had a great year. It's up 170% so far. So if you're planning to cash in, be aware there are tax implications for that. Sharon Epperson is here now with what you need to know. Sharon? Well, Kelly, if you've owned or used Bitcoin, you may owe taxes no matter how you acquired it or used it. The IRS now asks about it on the first page of the 1040 Federal Income Tax Form. They say at any time during 2020, did you receive, sell, send, exchange, or otherwise acquire any financial interest in any virtual currency? And you have to check yes or no. Now you better check the correct box on your return. If you know that you've engaged in a transaction, it's very important that you check the, the yes box. Um, if you don't, and you know that you engaged in a transaction, involving cryptocurrency, it could be considered tax evasion and, and there can be criminal consequences. And at the very least, you could be hit with hefty penalties and interest for failure to report income. And when it comes to figuring out your tax hit, here are three pieces of information you'll need to know. The fair market value at the time of the transaction, your basis, the amount you originally paid when you acquired it, and the holding period. Now, the holding period is truly key because there could be a big difference in the tax bite depending on the time frame and whether the losses or the gains are considered short-term or long-term capital gains. You can find a lot more on Bitcoin and your taxes at cnbc.com slash smart tax planning. Kelly? You know, Sharon, will Coinbase or anywhere else that you might have bought uh, your Bitcoin from give you the tax documents like a 1099 that would list all that information? Well, this is different than if you're doing a transaction with stocks or with mutual funds, will you get a 1099B form? That does not exist for Bitcoin and for virtual currencies. This, uh, you may get something called a 1099K depending on the amount and the number of transactions you have, but for most people, you're not gonna get anything like that. So you really have to keep good records and do this on your own. There are some software programs that can help you do that, but tax experts I talked to said the most important thing is to work with a CPA and enrolled agent who's worked with taxpayers that have cryptocurrency so they know how to deal with this. Yeah, because I wonder how many people on the day they bought it said, let me make sure I write this down, just in, you know, the basis and the amount, just in exactly. case I want to sell it later. Uh, and with the way that it's trading right now, I, I'm sure a fair number of people are thinking that through. Sharon, thanks so much. We appreciate it. And as she said, you can find more on CNBC.com. That does it for The Exchange today, but stick around for Power Lunch with the stock up 35% this year despite COVID-crushing restaurants. The CEO of Texas Roadhouse will join us to talk about what's working for them and how they've pivoted in the pandemic. Love that cowboy hat. I'll join Tyler Matheson after this quick break. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day. Same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Yeah! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 